0: Lots going on, and there's more moves by countries and cities around the globe to mitigate the effects of the coronavirus. Here in the U.S., it's really kind of a patchwork of moves by governors and mayors across the country. Safe to say, though, Jason, it's been a pretty severe response. Here to talk a little bit about that response and whether it makes sense is Dr. Dave Westner. He's professor of biology at Davidson College. He joins us on the phone from Davidson, North Carolina. Dr. Westner, uh, really appreciate your time on this uh, Monday. It has been a severe response. I've had a lot of people say, wait a minute, are we overdoing it? Are we?
2: Yeah, well, thanks for having me on today. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. It has been a severe response. Um, you know, I think there's, there's so many unknowns with this virus that a, a severe response is warranted. Um, if you look what happened in China, I mean, they had you know, much more severe response. And you know, within a month or so of, of that, it seems like they were able to get under control the number of new The new infections. So I think that's the goal here. If we implement these strategies now, are we going to mitigate the the effects over the next month or so?
1: Excuse me. And uh, so, Doctor, you know, tell us about what makes this one different, because it feels severe. Again, we don't have broad testing yet here in the United States, and so maybe the numbers are skewed a little bit. But you know, it's terrifying, candidly, to see the numbers coming out of Italy uh, and and other countries. Help us understand, uh, you know, what's different about this.
2: Yeah, I think it's a it's a great question. I think it's a question a lot of people have. You know, the, just to back up a little bit, I guess, coronaviruses are not entirely new. We've known about coronaviruses for you know, half a century or more, um, and indeed, probably a quarter to a third of what we'd call the common cold is typically caused by coronaviruses. You know, it really was. 2002, I guess, with the SARS outbreak, which was a coronavirus, and then 2013 with the the MERS outbreak, which again was a coronavirus, that we started seeing this family of viruses as potentially major uh, impactors of of human health. I think what's, so SARS and MERS had fairly high mortality rates. With MERS, about a third of the people who were infected actually died, which is extraordinarily high. Um, Both those viruses were not easily transmitted from person to person, though. Uh, so with this virus, we're seeing you know, a, a related virus in the coronavirus family that is much easily, more easily transmitted from person to person. Uh, and I think that is really the, the cause for concern. Even though the mortality rate seems to be significantly lower than SARS or MERS, we're seeing many more people become infected much more quickly. But that's and what I, I think that's a big worry.
0: That's what okay. And help help us with this, because this is the conversation I think, especially as we see our cities and our states being um, you know, self quarantining, if shut you will. Shut down and I, shut down shut completely. Down. Right. I guess the question is, and people have said this, that if if what we keep hearing from officials, who are telling us that most people will be fine? Some people won't even know they have the virus, and that really those most at risk, whether it's the elderly or those who have some kind of illness, you know, that those are the most vulnerable. I mean, if if are we is it correct to say that most people will be fine, and then because of that, you know, is the is the spread of the virus still that worrisome?
2: I, I think. Yes, most people will be fine, um, but that doesn't mean the spread of the virus should not be worrisome to all of us. Uh, Your average person, relatively young, relatively healthy, yes, all the information suggests if that person gets infected, they'll probably be fine. They'll have a minor cold, they may be completely asymptomatic, they may have flu-like symptoms, but the real concern is those people can transmit the virus to others. And if that virus then gets transmitted to a more vulnerable population, the elderly, people with underlying medical conditions, it's going to have very severe consequences. And if those numbers go up, the healthcare system is not prepared to deal with that many people coming in with severe consequences.
1: And so, Dr. Wessner, you know, you've heard a lot of the same things we have from Dr. Fauci and others about the length of this sort of new life that, that we're living in. What, what do you make of that? I mean, is this a two-month thing? Is this a three, six? Like, what are we looking at here?
2: Yeah, I, I think that's, that's a great question, and we don't know. I mean, this is something we haven't seen before. We don't really know. Um, I mean, if you look at influenza, there's been a lot of comparisons between this and influenza. We pretty much know every year influenza cases are going to decrease in March, decrease again in April, be almost nonexistent in May. If that turns out to be the case for coronavirus, great. It's going to be gone um, relatively soon, but we don't know if that's going to be the case. Well,
0: and us. I'm going to say that just listening to other medical coverage as well that we've been doing on our network is that some are saying we don't know because it's now showing up the virus in some warmer right. uh, locations. So we don't know that those warmer temperatures are going to shut down the virus. I guess, I guess it goes back to there's just so much we don't know about this particular strain uh, of the coronavirus that really... Um, explains some of the hysteria uh, and understandable shutdowns. Dr. Dave Westner, professor of biology at Davidson College, on the phone from Davidson, North Carolina. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly. On Bloomberg Radio.
1: Last night, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders got together in a studio, not in front of an audience. Kevin Cirilli, we know, was watching it. Chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Radio and Television, host of Bloomberg Sound On. That's coming up later on 99.1 in D.C. He joins us from Washington. All right, Kev, amid all of this, there is still a nominating contest going on. What did you see last night?
3: Well, first of all, I mean, three things, first and foremost, I mean, you've got primaries that are being delayed as a result of the pandemic. And then secondly, it was it was really a substantive debate last night, both former Vice President Joe Biden, as well as Senator Bernie Sanders, only really attacking each other's records and not making it personal. They also, that this is the third point that I would make, they also rarely mentioned the president's name. If it, mm. There was some, ana- some analysis that was done at the conclusion of the debate that found they really focused on how each of them would have responded and would respond to the pandemic. Uh, Senator Sanders used it uh, to double down on his assertions for Medicare for All. The former vice president used it as an opportunity to talk more about uh, his leadership style and how he would have... Uh, conducted it. And, you know, uh, Biden really using uh, terms so far as to say that there needs to be a mobilized effort equivalent to to World War II. Um, And so from that standpoint, uh, it just is a broader illustration of how much the pandemic has really caused, injected so much uncertainty, obviously, into the lives of every American and every citizen in the world, but also uh into the the longer term election cycle
0: well yeah you do wonder you you know what else might potentially have to change as a result of this kevin i mean we've got another round of primaries tomorrow i mean americans can they get you know or those folks who need to be voting can they do it can they do it You know, that's that's a question
3: that those individuals are going to
0: have to rely
3: on their local governments in order to get that guidance. Um, And and of course, people listening, you can go to your local government websites to make sure that you get that guidance um, in terms of the voting. Um, But beyond that, it's also worth noting that a lot of these folks had pre uh, pre election voting and and, and began voting early Mm -hmm. ballot voting. Uh, several weeks ago. So that that's a part of this as well. Um, There's been also some in Washington, D.C. who have just raised uh, the issue as campaigning for the year is changed dramatically. You know, no more rallies, no more town halls. Uh, There was no live studio audience last night. Uh, And and so that's just something else that I think top campaign officials on both campaigns are, are, are working through as well. And Kevin,
1: do you think that that could lead to a scenario where maybe uh, Sanders, who is not the front runner at this point, maybe backs off just a little bit? I mean, certainly, as you say, the tone was, yeah, I mean, they certainly were disagreeing on certain things, but it it felt like a more cordial tone than we've seen uh, in many of the previous debates.
3: Absolutely. And and, you know, both candidates reaffirmed that whomever the Democratic nominee is, that they would do anything, everything in their power uh, to campaign for the other person. Biden made that very clear. Sanders made that very clear. And, and just, you know, speaking, you know, it, it almost is surreal to see all three of the campaigns, the president's reelection campaign, Biden campaign, Sanders campaign, to see their, them put out, not them per se, but their, their collective campaigns, to be putting out these it's almost like they're living in a vacuum, yeah. these attack emails and, and, and fundraising at this time. I mean, it's just it's nonsensical. Um, and so I, I think you're going to notice some significant changes in the coming weeks to just how even on that level they communicate. I mean, it's 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 quite striking, right. you know, when when you're talking about just the moment mm-hmm. that we're in and you've got a, a you know, then you've got these emails for fun.
0: Well, and one last question, just got about 30 seconds. You do wonder, we talk about longer lasting impacts as a result of what we're going through because of the virus. Taking an audience away with candidates not playing to the audience or cheers or boos, it really made it a very different type of debate. As you said, they stuck to the issues. Just got about 30 seconds here.
3: I'll keep this tight. Absolutely. They, they, uh, they stuck to the issues and I got to end on a note of optimism. I, I just was flipping through my social media feeds and, and I saw that Navy ship off the coast of Italy playing the Italian national anthem. And I just thought, you know, let's, let's put that moment out there on your beautiful show, Carol and Jason.
0: Well, thank you. And we do appreciate, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, and all that we're all going through, to kind of end on that co- note, is um, is really, really wonderful. Kevin, thank you so much. I know you're dealing with a lot, as well as you continue to cover what's going on in Washington and certainly on the campaign trail, which is really not happening right now because right. Totally it, too, different. is shut down. It all
1: absolutely right. is.
0: Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent at uh, Bloomberg Radio and TV, host of Bloomberg Sound On on 99.1 in Washington, D.C. Carol Masser in our Interactive Broker Studio here in New York uh, My co-host Jason Kelly, out there at home, Uh, and this is how we're doing it, folks. Uh, Interest, interesting story on uh, the Bloomberg today about how Wall Street. One of my
1: favorite stories, I have to say. Yeah, getting blindsided.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about it.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's Wall Street getting blindsided, right? I mean, in a lot of ways, in some great color. I have to say, Max Abelson, and he knows this, is one of my favorite writers at Bloomberg because he just gets things other people don't. He gets insights into the Titans of Wall Street that few do. He joins us on the phone from New York City, as does Joel Weber, the editor of course of Bloomberg Business Week. Max, I want to start with you first. How are you doing? How are you feeling?
4: Thank you so much for asking. I'm great, especially when I hear your your live on the air compliment, which means so much to me. But I but I do want to give a shout out to my colleagues Sridhar Natarajan and, and Kathy Burton who helped me build this story about, you know, Wall Street I think, you know, whether or not you really adore and admire, you know, the financial services industry or if you despise it or if you're afraid of it, you know, the thing that I think we'd all agree on is that Wall Street seems to have this ability to look around corners and to make money from from the ability to predict what's next. And what our reporting showed is that just did not happen here. You know, that this existential crisis happened without Wall Street seeing it coming. And that's what our story is about. So Joel, what do you
1: make of this? You have, you know, both as the editor of business week and formerly the editor of Bloomberg markets, you have a keen understanding of this type of person and, and sort of the, the behemoth that is wall street in many ways. Did this surprise you? What, what did you see in this story?
5: Well, I think the thing that we kind of hit on with Max and, um, uh, we reached out to him sort of middle of last week and said, "Hey, this thing's happening, and you know it's starting to turn into a bloodbath, and everything's turning red. Like, what is the mood right now?" And he just was able to talk to some people who we don't normally get to talk to. And and what really struck us was just literally how blindsided Wall the top the top echelons of Wall Street were by this. And it's funny, and even since he wrote the story and we published it last last Friday. It's been sort of interesting because I've been seeing things like um, comments at Davos pop up. And even then, you know, like the coronavirus situation in China was something that was on people's radar a little bit. But those comments feel so dated when you look back at them already, because I think everyone just underestimated, obviously, how big of a global phenomenon this was going to be. And, you know, looking at all of those comments and these comments from, from the highest levels of Wall Street it just it, it goes to show you here you know we we had this epic bull market forever and one of the favorite things everybody talked about was like what could bring this thing down and yet the thing that has brought it down like literally wasn't a thing that anybody was pointing to
0: Well, and I think what's fascinating is these are the individuals we kind of turn to. Certainly the president did, bringing all of the uh, big bank execs to Washington to say, okay, where are we? What's going on? Is this a financial crisis? And, you know, these are the folks that we often look to to say, okay, how bad is it? Where are we? And the folks we look to that hopefully get an early indication that something's worse than what everybody thinks. And, you know, Max, that's not what we got. These guys were as equally surprised.
4: I, I, that is a great observation, and I think maybe the difference might be is that this is not a financial phenomenon that then infected the real world, which we, we I'm old enough uh, to, to remember the 2008 financial crisis when financial mechanisms um, ended up nearly taking down the rest of the world with it. In this case, it, it's, it's a public health crisis that then infected the markets, and I think that that might be what's Confusing and upsetting and and frustrating to financiers, and then of course, I mean, it's worth pointing out that while Wall Street didn't see this coming, but it's also a real life calamity impacting millions, if not billions, of people around the world. So, it, it's, it's I think even even the Wall Street billionaires we talked to had a sense of this is this is um, hurting a lot of people all around the world. Max, what was
1: the thing that struck you the most? What was the anecdote that really jumped out at you. You have a keen nose for these.
4: Okay, well, I wish I could um, brag about my own nose, but in this case, Shredar and Kathy um, did the reporting that gave us this just gorgeous opening scene where, you know, you have truly the masters of the universe that, that, that we care about here at Bloomberg News. You've got John Paulson, you've got David Einhorn, you've got Dan Loeb, you've got Goldman Sachs, Goldman gathers those three hedge fund magnates together with others in a a literal like Midtown Manhattan Steakhouse uh, the Sunday before last. And the scene we have isn't, you know, a scene of swagger or a scene of understanding the world. We have a scene of people trying to figure out what's going on. And, of course, that is when the fight between the Russians and the Saudis break out. The oil market falls into chaos. You know, we have a team of these, these
0: men all on their
4: phones, you know, staring into their phones. as, as um, I think it's the stock futures that get halted. And then, and then a few, you know, not long after that, we have Mark Lazry, the uh, billionaire co-founder of Avenue, who also co-owns Milwaukee Bucks. To his credit, he said on the record to, to me, I, I remember telling Joel about this, he was basically like, look, I didn't think this was going to happen. You know, yeah. I thought everyone was going to calm down. And until recently, I just totally misunderstood this thing. And it's always kind of nice to hear people, whoever they are, just kind of like be honest about it. You know, it's in a, yeah. in a weird way, it's kind of, uh, rare, but uh, I hope it, it's what makes this uh, the business week piece fun.
0: I have to say, the, Col- the Columbia University professor quote that you have in this story, that or the three of you have in this story, um, I guess runs a program in financial engineering, said Wall Street executives may not have seen this coming because they don't understand the pressures on regular people. And even a Goldman Sachs former managing director, you guys quote, I do think financial people live in a different world. So you do wonder about what they miss because they're just, it's just not what they see on a normal basis. It's a must read. Um, Really appreciate it. Max Abelson, finance reporter, Bloomberg News, on the phone from New York City. Stay safe, along with Joel Weber, as well, editor of Bloomberg Business Week, joining us on the phone in New York as well.